Hey fools, welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a di- different sector of the stock market every day. It is Tuesday, May 31st, so consumer and retail is on tap. I am your host, Vincent Shen, and I hope all of our listeners were able to enjoy their long weekends. I'm joined today by Fool.com contributor Daniel Klein, who's calling in remotely from Connecticut. Dan, uh, very, very happy to have you on the show. How was your Memorial Day? Oh, not so bad. Happy to be back. Awesome. So, uh, jumping right into it, and our topic, really, our main topic of the day, uh, back in early April, Sean and I had discussed some of the high-level drama at Walt Disney when Thomas Staggs, who was then uh, the chief operating officer of the company and who appeared to be the natural choice to replace CEO Bob Iger after his retirement, he ended up actually resigning rather abruptly and he threw the established succession plan into question. So there were some reports that touched on the behind-the-scenes conversations that may have been happening among the management team and board of directors at Disney that may have led to to Stag's departure after you know working at the company for about a quarter century. So this kind of corporate drama is really uh, surprisingly not that uncommon among even some of the world's largest publicly traded companies. And today, Dan and I will be looking at the scene that's currently unfolding at Viacom. So, just to give our listeners some high-level perspective of the story here, you know, the setting is Viacom, which has suffered about a 45% decline in its share price over the past two years. The company operates via two primary segments: its media networks. So, think about uh, channels like Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, MTV, Spike, and then also its filmed entertainment business uh, with Paramount Studios. And you know, they have some pretty well-known franchises like Mission Impossible and Transformers. So, both of these businesses are facing headwinds. Uh, you know, think on one hand, cord cutting among its television television networks, and then on another hand, its lack of steady movie franchises for its film business. And then now to the actors that we have involved. So, first, there's the founder of the company, Sumner Redstone. So, the media mogul who he acquired Viacom back in '87 and is uh, is the he bought bought the company when it was still part of CBS, and then eventually they were split into two. Um, So, to dial it back, Sumner Redstone controls. About 80% of the voting shares in Viacom through a trust, and that's where the intrigue is starting to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. I realize not quite so much the founder, but you know the person who's brought Viacom and, and kind of curated it to the business that it is he's, today. He, he's been the unquestioned kingpin of Viacom and CBS, no matter what his title has been. And he, he's been CEO, he's been chairman, he's been super duper chairman, sort of, you know, what, whatever title, I just made that last one up, but whatever <laughs> title you need, you know, he's had. And now the question is, is he still the one calling the shots? Uh, he's had some major health issues. And recently there was a court case where his longtime caretaker uh, and partner sued and basically said, hey, I should be making his decisions. That's what he wants. He's not capable. And he was actually seen by a geriatric psychologist. I may not be getting that title exactly right, who determined that while he clearly had some dementia, he was capable of deciding who would take care of him. Now, what wasn't ruled upon, and that's very important here, is it was not decided if he was actually competent to be making business decisions. That's sort of something that the Viacom board would like to force, but it has not happened yet. Yes, yes. And, you know, beyond uh, Sumner Redstone, I think, 
the really important people who are kind of involved in this drama right now are his daughter, Sherry Redstone, and then CEO and executive chairman, which is uh, a title that he got somewhat recently, uh, earlier this year, Philip Philippe Dauman, and then the rest of the board of directors at Viacom. Well, the challenge here is, so Sherry Redstone will eventually own all of her father's stock or have control of it through a trust. And what has been happening is Doman and another trust trustee have been kicked off the trust and they're suing to prevent that. The reason this is important is whoever controls that trust eventually controls Viacom and CBS. And you can look at this one of two ways. The Viacom board is alleging that Sherry Redstone is orchestrating all of this, that she wants to replace these people so she can have control. Sherry Redstone is saying, no, this is what my father wants. He's not happy with the performance at Viacom, which could ultimately lead to a major change in the board there and even DeMond losing his job. That's something that the independent directors on the board have been fighting. So there's a lot of sort of palace intrigue here. And the big question is, and we talked about this a little while ago, is it good business sense? Is it that Viacom's not doing well? So, hey, let's make some changes. And that's what both Sherry and Sumner wants. Or is this Sherry Redstone saying, hey, I'm going to use this as a way to consolidate my power base, kick this guy out, and then you know I'll be the puppet master behind the throne. It's really hard to know because Sumner Redstone has been held in seclusion. Yes, absolutely. Uh, From what I saw, he actually hasn't made a public appearance, I think, since his birthday, his 92nd birthday party last year. And he actually just turned 93 on Friday. And I think it's worth talking about. So I read the transcript of his interview uh, for this court case. And at times he was, he needed to work through an interpreter. At times he was completely unaware. He used language that I would say was salty even by, you know, construction site standards. He Mm -hmm. was definitely not the in-command media mogul we know. So just by reading the transcript, it's very clear that Sumner Redstone, while you can't make a judgment of whether he's aware of what's going on, he's clearly diminished. He's not the person he once was. So we don't know. Is he calling the shots? Is Sherry Redstone calling the shots? You know, Should Dumont be replaced? The company has not done very well. And the big issue is Dumont and the board want to sell a stake in Paramount, and supposedly Redstone is against that, or Sumner Redstone is against that. Yes, yes. He has generally uh, been a big uh, supporter of the idea of keeping all of Paramount ownership in-house. And you know, it comes down to with Dowman and uh, another director, uh, George Abrams, being essentially removed from the trust for from seven to five people. And essentially, the idea that Sherry will probably fill those two spots if she does with people who, you know, kind of yeah, support she's actually what she named wants. her her daughter and another close confidant to those spots. So there you go. So, so, you know, but that said, this is the Redstone family trust. It, 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 who would you expect to be named to it? I mean, I was hoping, but, you know, my name did not come up. So, <laughs> you know, once again, I, I think if you ha- if I had to look at this as an, as an analyst, I would say it's probably a little from column A, a little from column B. Of course, Sherry Redstone wants to make the decisions, but I think she's also at least trying to interpret what her father wants. How much of that he's stating and how much she's guessing or trying to infer, you know, we don't know. But Damon obviously doesn't want to lose his job, so he's going to work hard to keep the board independent and try to fight any of this. Absolutely. So, you know, let's, I guess look a little bit at the struggles that Viacom is has 
actually faced. And we know that filmed entertainment revenue has declined 50% since uh, 2011, and that tracks pretty much a five-year slide in total revenue for the company over that same period. And we know that a lot of this is coming from the fact that uh, the the main studio Paramount is struggling with these hits that. Uh, when we spoke earlier, Dan, like that you had mentioned, you know, Disney knows that its Star Wars or Marvel films will deliver at a certain level. Right. Par- Paramount has the problem that we've moved to a franchise-based movie world. If you're going to spend two hundred million dollars to make a film, it better do a billion two, a billion five. And you could say Transformers will do that. You can say that maybe Mission Impossible has another couple of movies left, but the other franchises they own, you know, SpongeBob. It's it's generally not things that are that are surefire hits. You know, a World War Z sequel, a, a Jack Reacher sequel. These are not things you can automatically say are going to do as well as a Marvel movie or you know e- even a, a Despicable Me sequel to look at some things. So they are making 15 movies a year. And maybe 11, 12 of them are a guess. And that's not really where you want to be. You know, when your slate says untitled Mark Wahlberg film, that doesn't give you the same confidence as when it says Thor 4. Yes. You know, and then on the, the other side, on the cable side, they own some valuable properties, but I think we've seen how quickly they can slide. I mean, if you look at something like Comedy Central, just the transition from Jon Stewart to, to, to Trevor Noah has cost them, you know, 35, 40% of their audience. And they'll say, oh, well, the kids watch it digitally, but you don't make as much money as when they actually watch it live on television. And in the changing cord cutting world, they own all these properties, but they don't own distribution. So, you know, if people are moving to to skinny bundles or streaming, are they really going to pay for VH1 Classic or MTV4 or, you know, whatever some of these lesser networks are? It puts Viacom in a really difficult position. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, one of these skinny bundles that you might call it, or these services with Sling TV, for example, I think specifically does not include a lot of these Viacom properties. Viacom has largely been on the outside looking in, and um, I want to say Comedy Central is on there, but I, I might be wrong. Um, you know, the, the challenge they have is they're not Comcast; they don't own the pipe and the and the channel. So, you know, they could launch their own bundle, but we're at a time where MTV is not at the height of its powers. They don't have a total request live or something that's capturing, you know, the 13 to 15 year olds where they're going to make their parents buy it. So if you're picking, if I'm sitting with my kids and I only have one kid, if I'm sitting with my kid and saying, you know, hey, what channels do we want? I don't know that Spike or MTV or VH1, certainly, I don't know that even Comedy Central is going to come up. Yes. And just to step back a little bit too, so if you're looking as an investor at their media networks business, how they make money. So as the viewership drops, that you know it's going to immediately start impacting a lot of their advertising revenue because the fact of the matter is, you know, the more viewers you have, the more you can charge. I think it goes beyond advertising revenue, and it goes into carriage fees. Yes, you know. MTV and VH1 each have three or four spin-off channels. And while the carriage might only be a nickel a month, a nickel a month times 94 million cable homes being forced to carry those is a lot of money when you have a channel that, you know, doesn't have any programming costs. So, 
you know, as you take that away, skinny bundles are not going to have these channels, or if they do, they're not going to pay for them. So when you take these stations that 60, 80,000 people are watching, there's no advertising revenue for, for that amount of people, or at least, you know, not enough that matters. You know, so I think you're going to see Viacom take some real hits, and they don't have a way to get those channels out to people. And other than Transformers, they don't have the movie properties to go make a deal with people that own distribution to say, hey, look, take our whole package, take MTV plus these six movie franchises. They don't have that. Yeah. So the, right now, I, as far as uh, I know, I believe a lot of those carriage fees get negotiated on in longer, uh, you know, term contracts. Might be a few years. But if the sustained, uh, you know, these sustained headwind headwinds are hitting their media networks business, and they're not able to, you know, control that that or command that same kind of viewership, you know, the carriage fees are going to see the hits. Not just in terms of what they're charging, but how many people they're essentially that base of viewers are able to charge it on. Yeah, I mean it's a shrinking universe, which we'll we'll talk about in a few minutes. I think the other thing to think about as an investor is Viacom and CBS have always made me nervous because they're eighty percent controlled by the Redstone family, by by for many years Sumner Redstone, and maybe now Sumner Redstone. And as an individual investor, if he controls eighty percent, is he managing the company for me or is he managing it for himself? And I know there's an independent board at both companies and theoretically independent CEOs, but it's hard to see how this is, you know, a company that's looking to maximize shareholder value. Yes, and even if you look at uh, Philippe Dauman, who is currently the CEO of Icom, he he's, was previously seen as longtime protege to Sumner Redstone, and you know some of the reports I saw when he was still kind of estranged from his kids, he actually favored Dauman even more than both of them. So well, you can well, that- see. That's what sort of makes this all sort of a Game of Thrones subplot. Yes. Because Sherry Redstone didn't speak to her dad for a long time. Now, that's not uncommon in family businesses. I have plenty of relatives I haven't spoken to because of family businesses. But now they're, you know, now they've sort of put it back together. But does that mean he's willing to get rid of his longtime friend or. You know, would he come up with some other solution? Maybe you know, minimize his power, or maybe just block the Paramount sale, but not get rid of him. You really don't know who's making the decisions. I mean, you know, look, Sumner Redstone might have moments of clarity and and be making clear decisions, or Sherry Redstone might just be doing what she thinks benefits her dad. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, taking a a, a bigger picture look, uh, I wanted to. Talk about uh, broadcasting cable. Recently, they reported on Nielsen's monthly estimates for cable TV subscriptions. Uh, thank you for sharing those with me, Dan. And no uh, they, they pointed to the ongoing trend of what you had mentioned, court shading, as you know, cable TV households are expected to decline about two point two percent in June. What do you think? You know, longer term, is this just something else that Viacom is really going to have to be thinking about? I think it's going to be a big problem. I mean, for years we worried about cord cutting. That was people completely getting rid of cable in favor of you know streaming services, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever it was. And that really hasn't happened. There were signs this year that those numbers may be topped out in the fourth quarter and the fir- of 2015 and the first quarter of 2016. The industry actually made gains, small ones in the first quarter. But if you look at cord shaving, which is the idea of okay. I have 200 channels, and that's ridiculous. I only watch 25. Now, the challenge is, if you for 200 channels, maybe you pay $103 a month. I'm guessing at the number. 
you know, but so your average cost per channel is about 50 cents. When you get down to 2025, you might pay a dollar or two, but you might still pay a lower price overall and get everything you want. I think we're going to see more of that. And when that happens, we end sort of TV socialism. Right now, if I love the History Channel, I don't, but let's pretend I did, you might be subsidizing that by paying for it in carriage fees. The second you give you the option to get rid of it, well, you're not going to pay for the Tennis Channel, the History Channel, the, you know, I don't know, Discovery ID or whatever these stations are. And all of a sudden, a channel might have two or 300,000 users, and either those people are going to have to pay 20 bucks a month or they're not going to get the channel. And maybe there's a few things like the Tennis Channel that could exist just as a subscription model, but you know, I'm not going to pay for the, the cooking network just because I watch it sometimes if it, you know, if it all of a sudden costs $15 a month. So do you see this, Dan, as kind of like a shift in power, essentially, you know, now that these companies like Viacom are unable to to get these carriage fees among this massive base of viewers and earn lots of revenue that way, and they're kind of losing that leverage they have in, I, in negotiations, essentially? I use this word lightly. You know, it's sort of in a joking manner, but I think it's the end of a scam. You know, the reality is, should I have to pay for 17 Disney channels that I don't watch? Of course not. You know, now, if you could find ways with packages to make me want to subsidize what you like, I think we'll see some of that, you know, where, you know, everyone or almost everyone is still probably going to pay for ESPN, uh, you know, on any of the skinny bundles, which is the most expensive of all the channels. But, you know, this was never a logical system. Why... I don't force you if when you go to the movies to go see, you know, X-Men Apocalypse to buy tickets to the nice guys in case someone else wants to see that. That's just not how it works. So, I think we're going to see television have to stand on its own merits. And, you know, on one hand that's bad, on the other hand on Netflix, you know, something like uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt which does about 4 million viewers is considered a hit, whereas on NBC that would be a huge flop. So, you know, you really have a changing world where if you create content and it stands on its own and it finds an audience, it'll work, but the public isn't necessarily going to pay for content that almost nobody is watching. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, any other thoughts that you wanted to leave our listeners off with about Viacom or, or you know, the industry overall? I, I really, I think the point that you touched on that I think is most important uh, when you're investing in a company like this is that what you mentioned with the fact that national amusements the company that Sumner Redstone's father founded, which still operates, or you know, was originally a movie theater company, still operates theaters, but is now, you know, mainly the investment vehicle for the control of Viacom and CBS. The fact that it has this 80%, uh, you know, controlling voting share of these two massive companies, you know, these individual shareholders, I feel like their voices can get lost. But anything else you want to leave off with? Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, as you look at this now, it's all very exciting. Oh, the board is suing, and will Demond be replaced? And you know, there, there's there's a lot of Shakespearean intrigue here. But if you really step back, the reality is. Sherry Redstone is going to end up controlling this. It's a question of whether she controls it before her father dies, after her father dies, or maybe it'll take a few years. But she'll end up controlling this trust and independent people and outsiders are not going to be able to sort of get in the way of a family dominated Sumner Redstone handpicked board of trustees so no matter what you call her if you're looking at CBS and Viacom you have to realize she's the big boss at the end of it and you know it, that's not fair to Les Moonves or, or Philippe Demont or whoever takes their jobs next but 
she is big brother when it comes to all of this. So if you're going to invest in these companies, I think you have to look at her track record. Oh, that's a that's a great point. Great point. So um, otherwise, uh, that's all from Dan and me today. Uh, you can always reach out to us via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or shoot us an email with any questions or comments to industryfocus at fool.com. You can also discover other podcasts from Motley Fool by checking out www.fool.com slash podcast. And as always, people in the program may have may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Uh, For Dan Klein, this is Vincent Chen. Thank you for listening and full on.